still, my soul be still, and do not fear, though winds of change may rage tomorrow. God, God is at is your, at your side, no longer dread, do not dread the, the fires of unexpected sorrow. God, oh God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord, a peace renew, a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone. Rest in you alone. Still, my soul, be still. Do not be lights and fleeting shadows hold on to his ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows God you are my God and I will trust in you and not be shaken Lord, a peace renew, a steadfast spirit within me to rest, to rest in you alone. Still, my soul be still, do not forsake the truth you learned in the beginning. Wait upon the Lord, and hope will rise as stars appear in trust in you and not be shaken. Lord, a peace renew, a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone, to rest in you. Thank you. What a beautiful expression of faith in our God. 1 Samuel chapter 2 in the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 2. What a joy to be here. Looking forward to these days. May the Lord breathe on us 
As I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour, I know many of you have prayed leading up to a meeting like this. Let me encourage you now that we're started. Keep praying. Have a heart cry meeting. Ask the Lord each day uh, to uh, just open your understanding. Uh, If you can, uh, get together with your uh, spouse, your family, and lift your voice and cry out to the Lord. You know, when we do that, God hears our cry. He always does. And so I just encourage you to have a heart cry meeting each day as we continue in the uh, the days of this meeting. And as Pastor mentioned, obviously, uh, it would... uh, in a meeting such as this, uh, we're, we're building truth upon truth. It's what some call the cumulative effect of preaching. Didn't that sound fancy? <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, where you have a number of services in a short period of time, and you can connect some dots and hopefully remember the former dot <laughs> and be able to build on that, truth upon truth. And that's what we'll be doing as we peel back some layers here in uh, these days together. And obviously, to fully benefit from that, it would obviously help to be here. As uh, he mentioned, I recognize we live in a day when there's all sorts of bizarre schedules. I guess technically as an evangelist, I'm a second shifter because most of what I do is in the evening. Uh, But uh, at any rate, uh, let me just encourage you with this. Would you come every service that God wants you to come? It's not a trick. You know, I've been in meetings where people have taken off work in order to come. happens often. I'm not telling you to do that. But if God did, then you would not regret it. Let's just do what God wants us to do. Then we can be free in our conscience and it'll be right. All right. First Samuel chapter two in the word of God this morning. First Samuel chapter two. If you noticed the verse that is on your bulletin cover today, that is our text. As we are in a series on the Holy Spirit, the person and work or the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not just an academic understanding, but our personal relationship with the Spirit. And friends, what we're going to look at in these days is not new. (laughs) It's in the Word of God. It's a truth that has been discovered by many throughout the years of church history. After Patrick was kidnapped and spent time uh, as a slave in Ireland, he was from Scotland... And then uh, remembered the prayers of his mom and what he was taught and was converted and escaped and grew in the Lord. When he came back to Ireland and saw a great awakening take place that brought in the golden age of Ireland, uh, much of the truth that you uh, find expressed in his own words that are still available today where you can find some things he wrote, you find at the core of it an understanding of this relationship with the Spirit of Jesus. You go to men like Count Zinzendorf, wealthy man in Germany who invited refugees onto his estate in the early 1700s. He was touched by a group of people that were called the Pietists. And in those days, they were simply people who wanted a vibrant relationship with the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit for life. And he was so moved and helped by them that God ignited him. And then God used him to ignite what is now known as the Moravian Revival of 1727, one of the greatest revivals of New Testament history. I'm just simply saying I could keep going from a history standpoint. The truth that we're going to look at is not new, but God has used it to ignite much blessing, whether it be revival on the individual level or, in some cases, revival on the corporate level. Well, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. And we'll see why we're going to use this text in a moment in relation to the Holy Spirit uh, once we get into this. 
But uh, this is a confrontation of uh, a man of God with the priest Eli, who did not do well. And so in this confrontation, uh, we're going to read a phrase in verse 30 that we're going to focus in on. God, through the man of God, says, this is the last part of the verse, for them that honor me. I will honor. Those are the words of the living God. And God is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. So when it does not spell out which person of the Godhead, it includes all. Them that honor me, I will honor. I'm going to speak this morning on honoring the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Lord, we need you as we look at your word this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for the heart to have a conference of this nature. And now, Lord, we need help from heaven. We do not want to step beyond the pages of Scripture. But, Lord, we do want to embrace all that you say. So, Lord, protect us from error. Protect us from getting off course in any way. But, Lord, where we are off course, get us back on course. Lord, this is not a matter of getting out of balance. I believe in our day it's a matter of getting back into balance. And so, blessed Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our understanding. that We would see the truth personified in Jesus. That he might be exalted. That we might be changed into his image as we saw in the last hour. And so I plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the evil one who seeks to hide what we're about to looking at, look at. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, and in your name exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour, and trust you that that not be allowed. May you be high and lifted up. May we trust in you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 1857, There were some groups, some pockets of people that were crying out for God to move. The initial heart cry began in both Canada as well as the United States. In Canada, there were some people up in the Hamilton area that were crying out for God to move. And there were some early breathings of the Spirit. As well as on the plantations in the south of the USA among the slaves. 1857, heart cry. God, we need you to move in our land. And uh, uh, so that had uh, several years leading up to 1857. You have this, this intercession taking place. And as God continues to move, a preacher by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere called a prayer meeting on Fulton Street in New York City. And he posted little uh, advertisements in papers uh, telling people that at noon to one at uh, such and such a location on Fulton Street, uh, they were going to have a prayer meeting, that it would be a daily prayer meeting. And so at 12 noon, he was there. (laughs) And by himself, he was there. Uh, By 12.30, he heard some steps coming up the stairs. By one o'clock, they ended with six. The next day, they had 20. The next day, they had 40. (laughs) And this prayer meeting began to take off. Why? Because God attended it. You know, when God's in a prayer meeting, it's glorious. When God isn't, it's terrible. Uh, But when he's there, it's phenomenal. And God was moving. 
That prayer meeting continued to grow uh, in numbers and in intensity and in reality. And it got to the point that they, they didn't have enough. They had to move the venue and word began to spread. And then other venues uh, uh, began to open up. And pretty soon there were uh, prayer meetings all over uh, New York City uh, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And this uh, word began to spread and other cities began to do it. And not just the cities, even the smaller towns and villages. And in many places they began to hold services at night. It was not orchestrated by any human being. It was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And within several months, as the Spirit of God was moving, 250,000 people had been converted. Now, before it was all over, it was going to crest a million people. 15,000 souls a day coming to Christ in the United States of America. Uh, 1857, 1858. Well, when it was at the 250,000 mark... A man by the name of C.H. Spurgeon on the other side of the Atlantic heard what was happening. And he preached a sermon on this text. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, the part of the text that we read, Them that honor me I will honor. This was at the New uh, Park uh, Street Baptist Church before he went over to Metropolitan. This is when he was still at that first pastorate. And uh, he announced this text and he told his congregation what was happening in the United States. And that God had poured out his spirit and 250,000 souls had already been converted. And he said, it is my desire to preach from this text and honor the Holy Spirit. These are the words of C.H. Spurgeon. That the Spirit might honor us and grant the outpouring in England as well. He preached. His people responded. They began to intercede. And yes... Very quickly, God began to move in England in 1859. Before it was over, 650,000 people were converted. In England alone, 300,000 in Scotland, 100,000 in Wales. So they crested a million in Great Britain, another 100,000 in Northern Ireland, and so on. Now, friends, the text says, them that honor me, I will honor. We need to honor God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I fear that in recent decades, for our fear of wildfire, we've only sought to honor the Father and the Son. And have minimized and perhaps ignored or neglected honoring the Spirit. Now, friends, He's God. <laughs> the text says, them that honor me, that's God. Father, Son, and Spirit, I will honor. So we're going to hone in on this aspect of the Spirit in these days together and in this very service. Ask this question, are we honoring the Holy Spirit? Now, how can we biblically honor the Spirit? Well, in our New Testament, and there's a lot that could be said, but uh, let's just take a slice of truth this morning. In our New Testament, there are five commands regarding the Holy Spirit. Five commands to believers in Jesus regarding the Spirit of Jesus. Five commands where the Spirit is the object. And so we're going to look at those five commands, and that will at least begin to open our understanding of what it means to honor the Spirit by uh, honoring these commands regarding the Spirit. Now, the grammar of these five commands really peel back uh, an outline for us. To begin with, we're going to find that one of the five is a command of reception, and then four of the five are commands of relationship. So let's start with the command of reception. 
You don't need to turn there. You're certainly welcome to if you want to. But in John chapter 20, we read, of course, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's resurrection day. And in the evening of that resurrection Lord's day, Jesus appears to the 11 disciples who are in the upper room. And he appears to them. And he says, peace be unto you. They were terrified at first. They were afraid. And he says, as my father has sent me, so send I you. Uh, one of the articulations of the Great Commission. And then the scripture says that Jesus breathed on them. Now there's another time when we read of God breathing on man. It's in Genesis. When God had formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. We're all made out of clay. And we're all a bunch of dirt balls. But at any rate, uh, when God created Adam, it says that he breathed on him. And he became a living soul. Now when Jesus breathes on these disciples, this is the resurrected Christ. This is the Christ who is now in his glorified body. Ah, yes, and he breathed. Something happened. Something big is happening. Now they were already living souls. They were already alive physically. So this is beyond what happened with Adam in a sense. They became living spirits. That is what now happens to people in the New Testament era. When you're born again, you are regenerated. Your human spirit is regenerated and the Holy Spirit moves in. I will deal with that, I I believe, on another night uh, in much detail. It's a marvelous truth. But uh, he breathed on them. I personally believe that's when they were indwelt by the Spirit. Thereafter, it was the day of Pentecost onward. But for them, he breathed on them, and then he gave a command. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things about that command. It is an imperative. He was commanding them. It was a verb tense, which was the fact of an action. It was an event that was to take place in that sense, a point in time. And then when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, we need to understand the grammar of the phrase. The little word the, the definite article, uh, when it is inserted in the original language of Greek, before a proper name, it emphasizes the person. uh, But when it is absent, it emphasizes the quality of that person named. Now in the English, it is always inserted because it would sound funny to us as English speakers without it. So it's obviously rightly rendered. But technically, in that verse, it's absent. The command was to receive the quality of the Spirit. You see, he breathed on them, the Spirit moved in. And for us, the moment you're saved, you are indwelt by the Spirit. You never have to ask the Holy Spirit to indwell you. That happens when you trust Jesus as Savior. But the command here is to receive all that he is. He's given the moment you're saved, but we're commanded to receive. That's a word that in many cases is translated take, to take, to trust, to depend on all that he is. How do you receive Christ? But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe. 
Ah, so inherent in the idea of receiving Christ as Savior is believing on him, trusting him as Savior, depending on him. So when Jesus says, receive the quality of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, the operation of the Spirit, receive all that he is. He's talking about, look, when you got saved, he moved in. Now take all that he is because he's the power that you and I need for every day we live. And so there's our first command. Now what's interesting is this is mentioned a few more times. It's good to know that. It's a, it's a thought that you don't often hear mentioned uh, 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 in, uh, in our conversations, but it is here in the Word of God, not just in John 20, because we might say, well, that was a little different, whatever, whatever. It's mentioned on the day of Pentecost itself. When Peter was preaching in an atmosphere where the Spirit of God was moving because God had poured out his Spirit. And you remember as he preached that sermon that day about the risen, reigning Jesus Christ, there was such conviction in the audience, the people began to cry out, Man and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent! In other words, change your way of thinking. Stop trusting yourself and put your faith, trust in Jesus, the reigning, uh, the risen, reigning Messiah. Trust him as your Savior. That was the first response. He said, repent. Then he said, get baptized. Then he said, and ye shall receive. Take the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you repent, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God moves in. And so we are to take the gift of the Spirit. Take all that He is. Jesus said, uh, as well as John the Baptist in the Gospels, but Jesus said it as well, that John baptized with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said repeatedly, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So why did Peter, on the day of Pentecost, say to these people, look, repent, that's get saved, then get baptized. And then he says, and take the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because taking the gift of the Spirit is, is a recognition. It is water baptism pictures spirit baptism. It pictures that, that, that reality that when you get saved, whether you're aware of it or not, you are baptized into Christ. You are plunged into Christ. You are placed into Christ. And just as a sponge is placed into water, and when it is, it's inundated with the water as the water moves into the sponge. In the same way, when you get saved, you're placed into Christ. You're immersed into Christ. And when you are, you're inundated with Christ as the Spirit moves into you. And so water baptism pictures spirit baptism. So he says, repent, trust Jesus. Then get baptized, water baptism. Why? Because that's the picture of spirit baptism that you got placed into Christ. And Christ placed his spirit into you. And now take, receive, depend on all that he is. Take the provision of all that the spirit is meant to be and is for every child of God. Wow. So we see it in John. We see it in Acts. How about the epistles? It's in Galatians chapter 3. Early in the chapter says, receive ye the Spirit. There the definite article is inserted, emphasizing his person, dealing with the actual salvation event when the Spirit moves in. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. Of course, the answer is the hearing of faith. And so his question is, you know, are you so foolish? You know, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Why go back to self-dependence when you started by faith? And then as he continues to explain, 
He goes on to say in Galatians 3, 14, talks about the blessing of Abraham, justification by faith, coming on the Gentiles through faith. And then it says that, so that, in order that, you might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Same truth. So we see it in John chapter 20. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Galatians chapter 3. The Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles. There is a concept that is a Bible concept of receiving Holy Spirit. No definite article. Receiving all that is. Receiving the ministry, the power, the promise, the gift, the quality of the Holy Spirit. There was a missionary from Norway in China by the name of Marie Monson. How many of you have ever heard of Marie Monson? A fascinating lady. Uh, she, uh, uh, she, uh, she had been there for, uh, I forget how many years. It was over a decade, maybe a decade and a half. And, and she just knew something was missing. Never felt that way? <laughs> Saved on your way to heaven, serving God, and there's got to be more to it. That's where revivals start, by the way, <laughs> when you realize there's more. And uh, uh, she, uh, she got into Galatians chapter 3, that she might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And she took, when she finally understood that this is just the simplicity of just like you got saved and you trusted Jesus to save you and thus you received him, now trust the Spirit of Jesus to lead and to empower Ah, now start depending on him in vibrant reality. And she received, in that sense, the promise of the Spirit through faith. And everything changed. In fact, that very night, God was so real to her, she sang her way through the night. Now, everybody's experience is going to differ, differ, but that's what happened for her. And her life uh, was radically changed because now she had the real leader in charge, the Spirit. And now she was trusting his power, so it wasn't just her anymore. And God began to use that lady. In fact, this is a fact of history, God used Marie Monson to bring in what's called the Shangtung Revival, a 15-year revival in the province of Shangtung in China uh, just before the communists took over. And so the 30s and 40s were greatly impacted by this dear lady. But it all started when she obeyed the command. What we call this is dedication. How many of you have ever heard of, you know, there were so many dedication decisions made at camp? Okay? Now, the problem is when you leave the order of this out, it gets messed up. Because when we think dedication, we think, hey, I'm going to dedicate myself to God. Okay, so who's the power source? Us. When true surrender is realizing, I can't, but he can. And so what we're dealing with is the same truth that we're talking about, but with a, a fine-tuned understanding. Wait a second. I can't dedicate myself in the sense that God has to do the dedicating. God has to do the empowering. Surrender properly understood is not my commitment to live for God, because that leaves me as the power source. Now look, people can't get saved that way. And you can't live for God that way. The power source is not us. It's God. And just like we surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and trust Christ as Savior in the matter of this, this whole idea of dedication, it's a matter of surrendering to the Spirit. It's a matter of receiving the Spirit. It's a matter of depending on the Spirit as leader and as uh, empower in our lives. It's that same truth properly understood. So there's the first command. 
command of reception. There's four more commands. These are commands of relationship. And we know this in the grammar. The command of reception was a verb tense, that it was a point of time. It's an event. There's, it's, it's the Roman 12, uh, Romans 12, uh, 1, uh, presentation. All right, you're in charge. Okay, I'm trusting you. I'm taking you. Now, that opens the door for a relationship. That event opens the door for a process. That fact opens the door now for a function. And so we can go to the commands of relationship. Now, of these four commands, one of them is a command of allowance. The other three are commands of action. Let's start with the command of allowance. In other words, faith in what you allow. In other words, for those who get into grammar, we're dealing with the voice of the verb. It's a passive. When it's passive, it's not something you do. It's something you allow to be done. That is the command in Ephesians 5.18. So here's our second command. First command of relationship. This is the command of allowance. We'll see that here in a moment. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, when I first uh, got stirred about the need of the Spirit in my life, this is a verse I was drawn to. Be filled with the Spirit. I didn't know what it meant, but I, I knew I needed it. Uh, be filled with the Spirit. I used to always wonder, why does that come in a verse that says, be not drunk with wine? We're in a success or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You ever wonder that? You know, why this lofty command to be filled with the Spirit in the same verse with don't get drunk? (laughs) Well, it actually is a contrasting analogy. On the one hand, do not allow yourself to come under the influence of alcohol. On the other hand, do allow yourself to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Shy people get bold when they're drunk with wine. Shy people get bold when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's an amazing analogy from a contrasting way. Now, let me ask you something, folks. What would you think if you had come into the church today? Forget, forgive this thought. I'm trying to make a point. What if you had come in today and the leadership, staff, deacons, Sunday school teacher... They're all obviously stone drunk. (laughs) Would that bother you? Good. I've asked that to some congregation and nobody responds. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble. I'm glad I got some response from this congregation. That ought to bother us. Okay. Does it bother us if we walk in and we're not filled with the Spirit? Same verse. Friends, you can be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. Can you be saved to know it? Yeah, how do you know? Based on sure words. We're going to find that that's how you know there's some sure words. We're going to be looking at words, words of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the words of God. That's how you can know. But here's this command, be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. So if we're not filled with the Spirit, we are disobeying. Fascinating. It's plural. This is for every child of God. This isn't just for, you know, the D.L. Moody's or whatever. No, this is every child of God. It's in the present tense. That means it's not the fact of an action. It's ongoing. It's linear. It's continuous. It's repeated. Keep on allowing yourselves to be filled with the Spirit. It's passive. This is not something we do. It's something we allow to be done. We'll come to that here in a moment. But be filled. It's complete. That word filled means filled. In other words, nothing empty. Filled, overflowing, abundancy. And then when it says, with the Spirit, the definite article is absent. Ah, be filled with Holy Spirit. 
Be filled with the quality of the Spirit. Be filled with all that He is. All that God means Him to be to you as your leader and your life. You see, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with all that He is. See, He's the Spirit of truth who can keep us from error. He is the Spirit of holiness who can keep us from the defilement of this world, keep us separated unto God. He is the Spirit of life in Christ uh, uh, to keep us from the deadness uh, and staleness of life without Him. He is the Spirit of adoption. That is, when you're born again, when you're birthed into the family, you're also adopted in as a mature son with all the access rights to the inheritance. And that's why 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, talk about when you cave into the flesh and you walk in the flesh and all of that stuff is manifest, you're not inheriting the inheritance of the Spirit. You're missing out. You see, he's the spirit of adoption. He is the spirit of faith. I'm not giving you the references on these. It probably should be. That's 2 Corinthians 4.13. He's the one who nurtures faith in our hearts so that we trust in God. He is the spirit of wisdom so we have understanding of truth. He is the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God. He not only helps us understand the book, he helps us understand and he reveals to us the person of the book. He is the spirit of love. That supernatural love that does right, even when you're wrong. Boy, we need that. He's the spirit of a sound mind to keep us from the debacle of that schizophrenia that we fall into. Where we go back and forth and we're never stable. He is the spirit of grace, the one who enables. He's the spirit of glory to manifest Jesus. You see, all that he is, all that he is, be filled with Holy Spirit, be filled with all that He is. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And so uh, on, as we go on in the Word of God, be filled with the Spirit. There's the command of allowance. But it's relationship, it's ongoing, but it's passive, it's what you allow. Well, how do you allow yourself to be filled with all that He is? That brings us to the three commands of action. Now we move from faith for what we allow to faith in acting. In other words, uh, active faith. Of these last three commands, one of them deals with the Spirit's power. All that He is, as we've been mentioning. Two of them deal with His person. So we're again letting the grammar peel us back here. We've seen the command of reception, and then four commands of relationship. Now one command of allowance. Now three commands of action. Of those... Let's start with the command regarding the Spirit's power. This is Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, Lord willing, we're going to touch on this another time. Uh, So I want to just deal with an aspect of it now. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Colossians 2.6 tells us, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Let me stop and ask, how did you receive Christ? By Faith, okay? So as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Hmm. So how do you walk in him? How do you walk in the spirit? It's the same way you receive Christ. It's by faith. Fascinating. Walking in the spirit is reiterated steps of faith in the spirit. 
But again, the definite article is absent. Walk in Holy Spirit. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, all of those times where that emphasis is given by that definite article being absent is letting us know that, look, the power is not us. The power is God. Now, I'm a preacher's kid. I got saved when I was six. I grew up in the Chicago area. My father pastored there. And Dad understood the Spirit for life. But I didn't. I go back and I look in some of my Bibles that I was using when he was preaching and I have written in the margin. Grace equals supernatural enablement. Well, that's exactly what it is. But it went right over my head even though I wrote it down. You say, how'd you miss it? Well, as long as you're satisfied with yourself. Forgive the expression, who needs God? I had the list. Don't do this. Do this. Get in the box. Hey! If that's your kind of spirituality, you are in counterfeit sanctification. (laughs) Spirituality is not a box. It's not a list. It's being rightly related to the spirit. But I didn't get that then. And so I was all about, you know, you just try harder. You blow it, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and you just try harder. I don't know how many times I walked out saying, God, I blew it again, but hey, now this time. You ever done that? What's well, miserable? Defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat, and you're thinking, good grief. And sometimes, yeah, in certain ways, you know, you have the form of godliness, which means there is a form. But you deny the power thereof. Even unsaved moralists can do that. And I'm going to tell you, God had to awaken me. I'll never forget it. It was 1993. I was reading the two-volume biography of Hudson Taylor, at the same time doing an inductive study of Galatians and Ephesians, and the word grace was exploding off the page because I began to see that grace, that the unmerited favor, I didn't know what that was, was supernatural enablement, and that it's not just for salvation and justification, it's for sanctification and service. I thought, oh, wow! Because up until that point, it was just me. Well, that's the pits. <laughs> In fact, the Bible says in John six sixty three, the flesh prophets... Nothing. And I remember the awakening. I had just entered evangelism. It was a little church downstate Illinois, a town of 400 people. Little tiny church just suffered a split because they'd put in new carpet and half the people didn't like it. It was pink. <laughs> no wonder it's but, but <laughs> Oh, wow. But I remember sitting there and God began to open my eyes. Most of what you've done, John, is just you. It's not irreligious flesh. It's religious flesh, but it's flesh. It's not the works of the flesh. It's the work of the flesh, but it's flesh. And when God began to open my eyes that it profited nothing, that it's the wood, hay, and stubble that can look good down here, but will be incinerated and go up in smoke at the fires of the judgment seat. I was devastated. I was 30 years of age. And I thought, oh man, most of what I've done. Now, probably not everything, because sometimes, you know, you get so desperate, you accidentally happen into faith. (laughs) That's why God allowed some of those moments. But I didn't understand that the whole thing is by faith. And so after the moments of desperation, I would go back to whatever, back to the self-dependence. But God began to open my eyes flesh prophets nothing. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, nothing, nothing. 
We saw in the Sunday school hour that the letter without the Spirit kills. And so God was showing me not only did it profit nothing, it, 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 it's kind of productive. It's deadening. You're actually harming the people you think you're helping. I'm going to tell you, that was a great awakening. I mean, to actually have that sink in as a child of God who's in full-time ministry and realize that much of your ministry, not only does it profit nothing, it's actually harmful. Because it doesn't show people Jesus. It's flesh. It's counterfeit. I'm going to tell you, it was a great awakening. It's the filthy rag of man's righteousness. Wow. And so we have this command, walk in the power of the Spirit. Just as you get saved by the power of the Spirit, now walk in the power of the Spirit. Oh, just as you get saved by faith, now walk by faith. I will touch that theme another time, but here it is. What a beautiful uh, command. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Walk in all that He is. And when you do, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because when you walk in His power, you access Christ's life, and Christ does not sin. So if somehow you're accessing him, that's when you experience victory. And when we don't access him, down we go. So walk in the Spirit. So be filled with the Spirit. Allow yourself to be filled. Allow yourself to be full and overflowing. How do you do this? Well, there's three commands then that deal with action. The first is the action of faith in, walk in, depend on the power of the Spirit, all that He is, His holiness, His victory, His life, His power, His enablement. Much more could be said. That's the command regarding the Spirit's power. But the last two commands regard the Spirit's leadership or His person. The first of these two is Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Spirit. The grammar can indicate the possibility of stop grieving the Spirit. The context of Ephesians 4 lists a lot of sin issues. Right in that context, when it says grieve not the Spirit, it deals with lying. Are you honest on your taxes? Are you honest with your hours at work? Then it lists anger. Anybody here got a problem with anger? <laughs> we had one honest person. <laughs> you know, I have uh, four siblings. My oldest sister's now with the Lord. I miss her greatly. Uh, but growing up, uh, two brothers, two sisters. My father used to say, you know, John has the worst temper. That would make me so mad. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, friends. I need the Spirit or I'm in trouble. Irritable. Man, when I was an assistant pastor, it's going back 30 years. <laughs> I tried to, you know, be like my dad. So dad wore a double-breasted black coat, so I got me a double-breasted black coat. He wore this Homburg hat, you know, so I got me a Homburg hat, you know. And uh, I'd get all ready for church, you know, have your devotions and, and so forth. And, and I'd get in my little car, and it was so small that the hat would, you know, hit the top, and it squished down, and I'm already irritated before I ever got to church. <laughs> ever been there? <laughs> Grieve not the spirit. In that same context, it mentions stealing. 
It mentions corruptible or corrupt words. What about our words? It mentions bitterness. Well, that was easy to preach on until I had something that challenged me with it. (laughs) It wasn't so easy to preach on that anymore. It mentions wrath. Those are the outburst rather than the slow burn. (laughs) Uh, It mentions evil speaking. That's just Ephesians 4. Then you've got Galatians 5 that lists all sorts of moral sins, adultery and so forth. And and then it mentions uh, 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 religious sins and social sins and relationship sins. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5. We live in a sensual world, do we not? There's constant attack on the mind to think impurely. Am I right? It's now easier to get to wickedness than it's ever been. It's right in our handheld device. And on and on it goes. See, if you want the power so that you're filled, then stop grieving the person. Stop grieving the Spirit. In other words, that command is deal with your sin. Just get honest with, about, uh, with God about it. That's why in the Great Welsh Revival of 1904-1905, the evangelist that was used uh, probably as the leading voice was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. He had a a four-point message. He preached all across Wales. He was a true evangelist. He re-preached the same same message. Uh, But uh, at any rate, his four-point message started with deal with all known sin. See, if there's sin going on that that you already know about, well, already we're grieving the Spirit. (laughs) The fact that it's there and you know about it and it's still there and not dealt with. So get honest. And by the way, when you get honest, when you call it what God calls it, when you stop making excuses and you stop blaming everybody else and you call it what God calls it, 1 John 1, 9, then the blood of Jesus comes rushing in and cleans you all up. Hallelujah. Every time. That's how you stop grieving the Spirit. <laughs> get honest. Side with God. Let the blood of Jesus in to cleanse. Beautiful. Robert's second point of his message was away with doubtful things. You know what we do in American Christianity? Well, this is a gray area, so I guess I can do what I want to. How about this is a gray area, so I need to find out what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Did you know if God made everything black and white, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit? That's why when man makes everything black and white, they're pushing the Holy Spirit out. Now, when God makes it black and white, then we better do what God says. But where God leaves it, Gray, it's so that you can get to the Holy Spirit and let him lead you for you. And he'll lead you to draw some lines and perhaps have some guardrails and so forth that'll be a little bit different than the guy next to you. Now, every child of God should be on the plateau of the absolutes of what is black and white in the Word of God. But on that plateau, there's some gray things of where you draw lines. That's where you obey the Holy Spirit. When you obey the Holy Spirit, your dependence is upon Him. If you're just obeying man's saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, now your dependence is on man. (laughs) You see, God wants us to get to the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to those doubtful things, the things that we call preference, did you know they're not our preference? (laughs) They're the Holy Spirit's preference. Because He knows where we should draw a line to protect us or to protect those around us. And so again... 
away with doubtful things. And he goes on in his message. Uh, but uh, the point is, grieve not the spirit. And the final command, the second command about the spirit's leadership or his person, is quench not the spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19. What's the difference between grieve not the spirit and quench not the spirit? Grieve not the spirit, in that context of all these sin issues, is deal with your sin. Quench not the spirit is say yes to the spirit so you don't fall into sin. It's the positive side of it. Obey him. Once you know it's his voice, obey him. There was a preacher about eight, nine years ago, a large church in Arkansas, and he was preaching a series on the Holy Spirit. There's a whole story of intercession, actually a 30-year story of intercession, of people praying for Little Rock, Arkansas. It's an amazing story. And uh, uh, some of the uh, preachers of the city, about 15 years into that, they began to pray for revival. And then they stepped that up, and they would have three-day vigils of prayer and fasting for revival once a year and so forth. Well, one of those preachers was preaching a series on the Holy Spirit. They had two services on a Sunday morning. He already preached the first service. He was now in the second service. And he was preaching on the text, Quench Not the Spirit. So he's in a series on the Holy Spirit. He's on the text, quench not the Spirit. And the Spirit of God bore witness with his spirit. That's a knowing, not a feeling. He said, stop preaching. Now what are you going to do? You're preaching on obeying the Spirit. <laughs> and you sense the Spirit saying, stop preaching. So he said, folks, I think we're done. And with no closure and no conclusion and all, he just obeyed the Spirit. Well, as he was closing in prayer, a deacon comes running up and said, Pastor, Pastor, you, you, can't, you, know, you, you know, shouldn't you give the people an opportunity to respond to what the Lord's doing for them? So he stepped down. He had a mic hidden at the Lord's Supper table, waiting perhaps for a moment like this, if God were to bless with it. He said, well, here's the microphone. And if God's telling you to say something to our congregation, then obey him. And he released the, the people to obey the Spirit. And someone came up and they were honest. Not indiscreet, but they were honest. And then this one, and then this one. You know, that service went for hours. There was a military man who got up and said, you know, I've been saved for six years. I've known for six years I'm supposed to get baptized. I just keep putting it off. No more! I'm going to obey the Spirit! And he went up with his full, fully dressed and got in the baptistry. And they baptized him. <laughs> so unusual things happen when God moves on this level. I wonder what would happen if we would obey the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Now test the spirits. Make sure it's the Spirit and not counterfeit not your own flesh, and there's ways to do that. We'll perhaps refer to that later. But once you know it's his voice, you know, God is light. There's clarity. Uh, there's life. No deadness. We saw that the, uh, the letter of the law kills. Spirit gives life. Uh, for the Spirit of the Lord is there li there's liberty. We saw that in the Sunday School Honor as well. In other words, when God's in something, you know it. When he bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, it's not a feeling, it's a knowing. So it lets us know that when God speaks, we know. It's not a feeling. Feelings can be counterfeited by the enemy. It's a knowing. And friends, when you know down deep, God is saying, that person, talk to them. And so you do. And here comes this conversation that's a gospel conversation. And there's just amazing impact. Why? Because the Spirit of God knew what person was ready. You know that God leads that way. 
and we can follow. Obey Him. See, that's letting the peace of God rule in your heart. See, He's the Spirit of peace. It's letting the Spirit of God rule in your heart. That's what we're talking about. I just read the story in the book uh, or in the magazine called Voice of the Martyrs uh, about a couple in Iran who uh, had uh, some uh, ministry going and they were uh, finally uh, arrested, put in prison. And uh, that's, you know, that's intense. We don't understand that stuff. But people just like us in our world, this just happened. And uh, then they were released. They stayed there, continued to minister carefully, and then eventually uh, moved to a close country and are able to do much more uh, in a country where they uh, won't get arrested for it. But they're still ministering in Iran or to the Iranian people this way. And an interview took place with the lady, the wife, that she was imprisoned along with her husband back earlier. She said, you know, in the times of persecution, you were just dependent on the Holy Spirit. You were in tune. He said, she said, now, I fear that I respond quicker to the beeps on my phone than the leadership of the Spirit. Where are we? Honoring the Spirit. Receive all that He is. There's a starting point. That opens up a relationship. Be filled with all that He is. Allow this to happen. How do you do that? Walk in the Spirit. Depend on His power. Grieve not the Spirit. Deal with anything that's in the way. And then quench not the Spirit. Obey His voice. And friends, when you do, you're filled with the Spirit. Not because you feel it, but because God says so. You are allowing yourself to be filled because you are obeying His voice. You are depending on His leadership, His power. We'll say more about it. But this is at least a start for us. Are we honoring the Holy Spirit? God says, them that honor me, I will honor. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. Just a couple of thoughts. I would imagine in an audience like this that there would be many who could say, you know, there was a time when I, I surrendered all, I, I dedicated my life to Jesus, and it was very sincere. But maybe it was more of, I'm going to do this for God. And now you realize, wait a second, I can't. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. That a true dedication is saying, God, I can't, but you can. So I'm receiving all that you are. I'm taking the gift of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit by faith. And that can become very real. We talked about the other commands. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. Let's stop on that one. I wonder who it's a preacher. When you talked about that already, there's some issues in my life that I know grieve the Spirit and I need to deal with them, and I already know that. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Various parts of the auditorium. God bless you. Anybody else say, you know what? I already know there's an area that's not right, and I need to get it right. God's speaking to me. I should have raised my hand to begin with. I'll raise it now. Anyone else? Yes, 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 yes. I'm glad we waited. Yes, yes. God bless you. Amen. Then this matter of obeying the Spirit. Friend, are we more prone and more sensitive 
to the notifications on our devices than the notification of the Holy Spirit saying something to us. Don't say that. Talk to that person. They're in need. Where are we? Are we honoring the Holy Spirit? Now, Lord willing, we're going to peel back a lot more layers. I hope whatever questions get raised, they'll be answered in the next service and in the next service and so on. But do we have a heart for the Holy Spirit? Do we really have a heart for Him? If you're saved, He moved in. Now, have you received all that He is? Let me ask one other question. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. It's not been my emphasis this morning, but perhaps if you died right now or 10 years from now, you don't know that your sins are forgiven. You don't know you're on your way to heaven. As far as you know, you could be headed to hell. I wonder, is there anyone in this audience who say, Preacher, man, that's me. I don't know I'm going to heaven. I hope I, I am. If there's a way to know, I want to know. God's speaking to me. Would you raise the hand if that's you? Anyone at all? Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless as we bring this service to a close. And Lord, may we talk to you about what you're talking to us about. With our heads bowed, in a moment I'm going to ask the pianist to play through a verse of a song. If God's speaking to you about any point that we're talking about today, whether it's the Sunday school hour or now or a couple of things, let me encourage you to talk to God about what he's talking to you about. If you'd like, you can come and get on your knees if you can do that without pain. But let's talk to God even now as the music plays. Lord, we thank you that you are God, as has been sung about today. Lord, we thank you that you gave a promise that them that honor you, you will honor. Lord, we thank you that you are Father, that you are Son, and you are Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that where we need adjustment in our thinking, that we would yield to your truth, that we might honor you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you might revive and honor us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.